Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about the 2016-17 basketball season and a tough loss to Notre Dame. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman and our guest today is Syracuse.com's Mike Waters. Mike, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Wes, it's always good to talk to you. And Mike, we will get you started on this one. Should Syracuse fans be getting a little worried that the 2017 class doesn't have a commitment yet? I understand the angst because in a lot of years, Syracuse by now has, if not one, two, three commitments. Sometimes Syracuse has had its entire class wrapped up uh, and, and they're already targeting younger classes. So I understand it's a little different. But if you look at this 2017 class, really the top 50 kids very few have committed yet and very few of the kids that uh, that have committed uh, were were Syracuse targets now there's a couple names out there but you know when you're talking like Alex O'Connell his dad played at Duke he was always going to go to Duke as soon as he got an offer from Duke so I really don't consider that a, a player that Syracuse was dying to have and had spent a lot of time and effort on it and lost out on same thing with an Ethan Thompson, you know, Stevie Thompson's son. He goes to Oregon State where Stevie's an assistant now. I don't know for certain, but I, I think that scholarship offer was, uh, you know, a courtesy to Stevie. <laughs> I mean, obviously the kid's good, and if he wanted to go away from home, he could come to Syracuse to play, but I don't think that kid was going anywhere other than Oregon State right from the jump. So guys like Quade Green, Hanu Diallo, you go on down the line, Lonnie Walker, Brandon Randolph, Nick Richards, Billy Preston, new name on the list. All these guys are still on the board, and they they really have they haven't really zeroed it down yet. At most, they're down to like, or at the least, I would say, they're down to four or five schools, and Syracuse is among the four or five. I think Syracuse is in good shape for all of their prime targets. So, Mike, you just mentioned several Syracuse recruiting targets. Who do you think is going to be the first to pull the trigger and come to SU? It seems like to me, anyway, that they appear to be in good shape with a lot of these guys. Um, Quade Green, the kid from Philadelphia, I think they're going to get him. This, 
he just keeps coming to campus. <laughs> I think he actually qualifies for New York residency at this point. He's taken so many unofficial <laughs> visits here. He still has an official visit in his hip pocket if he ever wants to take it. But they were in on him early. He's from within their recruiting footprint of Philadelphia. And on top of that, he's from Newman Goretti High School where, you know, Scoop Jardine and Rick Jackson are alums. They have connections to him. They know the high school coaching staff there. They know his AAU programs. I know the big boys are recruiting quad A. I know Kentucky's involved. I know Duke's involved and all that. But I just think Syracuse is in good shape. And how many Diallo? I don't know. Uh, yeah, everything's up in the air with, with that kid. And uh, But, he, you know, lo and behold, he comes up to Syracuse just this past weekend on an unofficial. It's got to be a good sign. They're in the final four for a Brandon Randolph and already got an official visit out of him. So, again, I think they're in pretty good shape. I mean, is a kid from Philadelphia like Brandon Randolph going to go all the way to Oregon or all the way to Arizona? Now, they do. Uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson uh, was a was a Philly-type kid and, you know, went out to, to Arizona a few years back. So it happens, but still... Um, Syracuse is in good shape there, so we'll see. And then one kid we haven't mentioned the name is O'Shea Brissett, six foot eight, six foot nine kid up in the Toronto area, uh, and Syracuse is going to get a visit out of him in a couple weeks uh, on the weekend of Orange Madness. And he is an underrated of all the guys they're recruiting. You know, he's one of the lowest rated, and yet I am hearing from people nothing but good things about him. Just rave reviews. That he's a blossoming talent and vastly underrated. Mike, let's move to the 2016-17 Syracuse basketball season. They had their first practice last week. What's one thing that jumped out to you? Can I say two things? Because two things jumped out <laughs> you at can me. pick as many as you want, Mike. <laughs> All right, two things. One thing that jumped out at me was of the returning players their size. Guys like Tyler Lydon and Franklin Howard and Pascal Chukwu, they're bigger. They're stronger. I mean, now, they're not football players out there. I mean, no one's going to, like, look at Tyler Lydon and think, oh, we got a tight end or a defensive end on our hands. They're not football player size. But they've gotten bigger, and they've added weight. I mean, Franklin Howard is up over 200 pounds now, and when he got to Syracuse a year ago, he was about 180. Tyler Lydon's gone from 205 a year ago to about 223, 226 now. And he just looks different through the shoulders and the biceps. And, and that's where you see Pascal Chukwu. Now, with Pascal, it's a little bit of a hidden thing. You've got to get up closer to him, and you have to remind yourself what he looked like a year ago. Because at seven foot two, he's never going to be hefty. He, he's a tall, thin guy and is always going to be tall and thin. But it, I kind of liken guys like him to a, a, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar body type. And Kareem was super strong but you wouldn't look at him and think that he was a weight room guy because he was just so long-limbed. And, and Pasquale at seven foot two is, is a long-limbed guy that he looks stronger through the shoulders and, and the arms. And the second thing that jumped out at me as I watched just about 15 or 20 minutes of practice, but actually earlier in the week I was able to go up and, and, and actually got to see the guys get out on the floor with no coaches around, it's the depth, the quality of depth. I mean, this, there aren't 12 to 13 scholarship guys on this team because the NCAA took away a few. <laughs> but there are 10 scholarship guys. And when they line up to go five on five, it's awesome. I mean, you've got a quality guy versus a quality guy. And sometimes you're kind of looking at it going, all right, now, are we going starters versus subs? Or are we mixed and matched here? And who's who? But you know, you've got Frank Howard and John Gill, and you've got Tyus Battle and, and Andrew White. 
You've got Tyler Lydon, Matthew Moyer, Dorian Thompson, Tyler Roberson, Baywan versus Pascal Chukwu. You've got a lot of depth here, and the, the key is it's quality depth. And Jim Beheim's already talked about going eight, nine deep, and, and I think he can easily do that this year. And people like to joke about you know, Jim not playing his bench much, but in years when he's had quality guys, he's shown a willingness to go at least eight deep. He did it in 2003. Uh, with that team when he had uh, Edelin, Josh Pace, Jeremy McNeil off the bench. He did it in 2010 with a very good team. He did it in 2012 with a very good team. He will go three deep. Now, will he go four this year or five? I don't I don't know how, how deep he's really going to go. It's hard to get minutes for guys number nine and ten, but um, he, this, this is fun. And practices are, I'm already being told, are very intense. The guys are the guys are really going at it because they're battling for time. Mike, that's a perfect segue into my next question. If you were to have a starting five right now from this group, who would it be? I could name a, I could name a couple starting fives for you because there really are legitimate options and which way you could decide to go. But if you want me to get myself into trouble, I'll be I'll take a stab at it. Um, <laughs> I think the battle at point guard's really intriguing, and I'm not exactly sure who's going to win out here because, really, we've only seen about 15 or 20 minutes of an actual practice with last Friday. I'm leaning right now towards Frank Howard, but I'm, I'm, that's probably a dangerous thing to do because I haven't seen enough of John Gillen. But I'm doing it with Frank because I liked what I saw of him last year, and I like the idea uh, in Syracuse's defensive system of having a six foot five guard on the floor. And defensively, I think he's going to make a difference. And then Gillen can become your your energy, uh, change the look of a team guy off the bench. And sometimes I like that guy coming off the bench versus a Frank Howard coming off the bench. Uh, you know, I, li- I like that Dion Waiters, change the look of the game sort of guy coming off the bench. I'm thinking Andrew White starts at the two, and really the only reason I have him starting is at the two is because if I t- start tie his battle at the two, what am I doing at the three? <laughs> <laughs> you know, am I starting wire line? Man, it's another tough question. And I've heard it, I've seen it thrown out there by fans and friends of mine and stuff. Like, oh, well, Lydon's going to come off the bench. I don't know. I mean, I think when people are doing that, they're taking the easy way out and they're they're assuming that oh, they'll bring Lydon in off the bench because promises were made to the fifth-year transfers in Gillen and White, or Tyus Battle is so highly rated as a freshman uh, that he has to start, and people think promises are made on the recruiting trail. I don't believe that. Um, now, Tyler Lydon, you could say maybe he comes off the bench because, well, he did it last year, and they still got 30 minutes a game, so he knows he's going to play, and maybe he will handle coming off the bench this year as well as he did last year. I don't know. For now, I'm saying there's no way in the world you're not starting your best player. So Lydon's at the three, White's at the two, and you go with Roberson and Coleman up front. Mike, I have a feeling you're right. Howard, White, Lydon, Roberson, Coleman. Sounds like a good starting five to me. Which means we're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Which means we're both wrong. You know, because it is a great thing. Listen, Jim's talking really highly about Tyus Battle. He's saying he's good. So, you know, maybe he starts at the two. I don't know. Um... But if he's not starting at the two, then again, if somebody in addition to one of the point guards, somebody's coming off the bench at probably out of the threesome of Battle, White, and Lighten, which is a really good player coming off the bench. 
And the only reason, the only way that's not right is as if, wow, could they start all three of them and then you're not starting Tyler Roberson, who's arguably one of the best rebounders in the ACC returning this year? I, I don't know. I, I'm thinking with this team, with your ability to run, I want Roberson on the floor to clean up the defensive boards and start my fast break. There's just no shortage of combinations. I love it. This is all so much fun to talk about, isn't it? Let's keep going. Sounds good, Mike. Let's keep going. We'll get you out of here on this one. Who do you see as SU's top two leading scorers this season? I'm thinking that's actually a pretty easy one because while there's playing options, I'm, I'm thinking Tyler Lydon and Andrew White are going to be your top two scorers. I mean, Andrew White comes from Nebraska, and, and granted Nebraska wasn't great last year, but they played Big Ten teams, and he averaged 16.5 points per game. He's a legitimate player. He's done it on the big stage in a big, big league conference, and, and he's an older guy. I, I, you know, fifth-year senior, 23 years old. And Leiden, you know, if you look at him, you know, he averaged about 10 points a game last year coming off the bench. And early in the year, he was deferring to people. You know, later in the year when he started coming on, he was right up there with Trevor Cooney and Malachi and Mike Benajay. With all those three guys gone, you know, I think Andrew White's going to score some points for you, but, you know, who's that third score? I, I think Leiden's moving right into the top two. And then, Syracuse will look for additional offense from John Gillen, Tyus Battle. Uh, some of the big guys will score a little bit more. Maybe Daywan Coleman scores a little more than he did a year ago. But um, I, I don't think it's any question that the, the two main offensive weapons are going to be Tyler Light and Andrew White. Tyler Light and Andrew White, you heard it here first. Mike, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Again, it's Mike Waters from Syracuse.com. Great stuff as always. We'll speak with you soon. Enjoy the season. Thanks for having me on, Wes. It's always fun to talk to you. Just awesome stuff from Mike Waters, the consummate professional. Always enjoy talking to him. And speaking of consummate professionals, I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse with a 50-33 to loss to Notre Dame on Saturday at MetLife Field. Should Syracuse be encouraged that they played competitively for a half or discouraged that they struggled so much in the second? I'm going to be a glass half full type of observer on this, Wes. I mean, this is a young football team. You're going up week in and week out against really good talent, uh, whether it's Notre Dame, of course, a quasi-ACC team, or the rest of the opponents on the ACC schedule. So I'm going to say encouraged. Look, there are a lot of mistakes, a lot of cringeworthy uh, plays on the field. But overall, if you're asking me for the for the 10,000-foot uh, view as I look down, I would say the encouraged side for the half and that you know this is a young team that's going to learn from mistakes. And I have a lot of faith in the coaching staff and the teaching that they're doing between games each week. Yeah, Brad, speaking of cringeworthy moments, there were plenty to go around both on special teams and on defense. Which concerns you most? Well, they're both concerning, but again, I'm going to you know quantify that by saying you know the the youth again uh, uh, on both uh, those areas, the defense and the special teams. That being said, however, you have a returning kicker in Cole Murphy. He, he's got to make kicks. He's got to you know either kick the ball for touchbacks or kick it high enough where the coverage team can go down and keep the opponent within the 20 yard line. Punting, punt protection, uh, alternating the punting between the rugby style and straight back. A little bit disconcerting there so far because it seems like it's just more that a young team has to think about uh, from a play uh, standpoint. Uh, Defense, I I guess, would edge out, Wes, only because 
you know, if you're going to give up all those points, you're not going to win football games, and they're going to go against explosive offenses for the most part the rest of the way in the ACC. So I'd say defense over special teams, but I also at the same time am encouraged that these players are going to learn by playing, and hopefully come November we may benefit from fruit of that labor. Brad, in the postgame, Dino Bapers was saying the media was on him about being too aggressive or not being aggressive enough on fourth down. Did some of his decisions to punt surprise you? Well, certainly surprising from being you know, an observer in the press box and certainly was the same tone as asked by the media, as you mentioned, in that postgame press conference. What I've also kind of noticed, Wes, so far He's feeling his way into this job at this level after this many weeks, you know, uh, through the season here into October. And if you go back, you, you can really go back to other statements he has made going back to preseason camp, uh, even to ACC Media Day about we may surprise some people this year. That kind of raised some eyebrows. And then some of the statements, as you say, contradictory. I uh, you know, believe a lot of that is the result of learning on the job at this level and with this team that he inherited. Brad, Syracuse stands at 2-3 and three right now. So to get to a bowl game, Syracuse needs at least four more wins. I guess there's situations where a five-win team can get into a bowl game. But do you see the potential for that in the remaining schedule? Potential, but I don't think a lot of potential. Again, all of these teams are pretty good. I mean, Wake Forest is better. They certainly have comparable athletes to Syracuse, as does BC, NC State, and Pitt. We know about Florida State and Clemson's elite athletes. So the potential is there, but based on what I've seen, unless some of these younger players grow up in a hurry, cut down on the mistakes, cut down on what's surprising to me, was some untimely penalties, which I thought we got rid of in the Coach P. Marone Schaefer years, uh, unless that happens, it's going to be real shaky to make a bowl game. Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, you know I'm a uniform guy, right, Wes? So I'm going to make this prediction right now. By the time Syracuse has finished playing 12 games this season in the regular season, they will have ended up wearing 12 different uniform combinations. I'm sure of it. If you go back to Bowling Green last year, that was Dino Baber's MO there. And there's one thing as I was watching the game against Notre Dame, that really I said, what's something looks strange with, with the uh, uniform look. And what they had done was they had put on white face masks on the blue helmet last week. Only something, you know, that you would see if you're really a, a uniform follower and all those nuances. So anyone that wants to follow Syracuse uniforms, just go to the great website, uniwatch.com. Each Sunday morning they have the ACC tracker, and you'll see each uniform Syracuse wore this season, and they're all different in the game so far, Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse star Tom Coughlin, who was at the ceremonial coin flip on Saturday. Coughlin was fired in the offseason by the Giants, but I hope he gets one more shot at a head coaching position. I'd also love to see him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You wrote about this this week in your Orange Watch, Brad. He's going to get there, Wes. It might be 2020 or a few years after that, but he's one of only 11 coaches in the 50-year history of the Super Bowl to win two or more. He's going to the Hall of Fame. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that another term for balloon is bad breath holder. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network.